already made your mind up I don't have to prove a thing I can come just as I am, God You don't need nothing from me I've given you so many reasons For you to turn your back on me But you've already made your mind up You've already set me free of things you're not looking for perfection you're searching deeper underneath you've given me so many reasons to believe the words you say but you're not holding any grace back you pour it out on me and stay
be talking about grace. And grace is such an amazing thing, isn't it? Grace is free. And uh, I, I just wanted to congratulate our church. And I just, just to let you know, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of our church because we have been offering a family in our local community our prayers. Gary Coleman, as some of you know, I, I'm... I, I'm meeting people all the time that know Gary. I've not met Gary. Gary had a bike accident and is in the hospital on a ventilator. And, and we're praying for full healing for his body. That he would, that, that the feeling would come back through his whole body and that he would be restored again from this accident. And um, our hearts go out to the family and we are just believing. But I'm hearing so many people praying. And we're, we're receiving news that um, there's feeling coming back. And we're just believing God is in the process of bringing healing. And so I'm, I'm proud of the River Church for reaching out, for caring so much, for, for praying. And we're just going to pray right now. We're going to pray for Gary, Dana, and Adam, and pray for the family. And so we just pray in the name of Jesus, Father, uh, for this dear family, this family that's, that's part of our community in the South Bay. And... Um, Many of us don't know them, but yet we are extending grace through our, our prayers and believing in the name of Jesus for, for healing for Gary. We're just believing that right now, Father. We have stood with him this, this last week, and we are just, we're just trusting in the name of Jesus fully. <laughs> so thank you, Father. Thank you for the work you're doing in the name of Jesus. Thank you all. Thanks for continuing to pray. Thanks for being a community that cares for others. That's what the River Church is all about. If you're new, welcome. We're glad you're here. Maybe you're watching online and you're watching right now. Thank you, Ron, for helping us bring this service to people in their homes right at this moment, all throughout the week. It's great. Fantastic worship. Thanks, Godwin. Thanks, Amanda and team. Amazing. Love this church. Love what... God's doing through this church and, and through all of you. So welcome, and I'm glad you're here. We are in a great focus. It's called um, the art of following Jesus. That's who we are. We want to learn about the words and ways of Jesus by learning the practices that Jesus taught and modeled. And we want to do that in the context of apprenticeship. And apprenticeship is simply being an apprentice with someone else to learn these practices. And so that's been our focus, and we're so excited. And uh, for many of you, hopefully you have a brown book. And I forgot mine in my chair, but I have it. And I put a sticker on it. And if you'd like to put a sticker on yours, there's stickers in the back that simply say the art of following Jesus with a beautiful artwork that shows a group of people huddled together, working together to become more Christ-like. And then there's another sticker that shows us that we need to pick a practice find an apprentice and uh, and take a swim, take a challenge each week. And we're going to be doing that. If you're not familiar with our website, I want to show you right now, just for a minute. Can we show that? Okay, we're going to show uh, actually a tutorial of how to go to our website and find our 12 practices online. It's all online. So if you're here watching live, uh, uh, watch the screen for a minute. And if you're watching from home, Go to riversouthbay.org and check out our art of following Jesus. 
How was it? Did you get to see that? It's extensive, isn't it? There's practices, there's podcasts, there's sermons. I mean, we are, we are we're ready to go. This is it. So we're excited about it, and uh, we're hoping that you're jumping in at some point and uh, following along with it. Let me pray for Bill as he brings us a new focus, a new practice this morning, and that is living by grace. How do we live by grace? So, Father, I pray that you'd uh, speak through my friend, my longtime friend, my companion, um, Bill. And I pray in Jesus' name, give him uh, the just the encouragement. I, I pray, the Holy Spirit, you'd speak through him and you would inspire us to understand more clearly, Jesus, how you taught grace through your life, through Bill. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Tato. Yes, long, long time friends. So fantastic. Look, I brought my notebook. I got my notebook. I got my stickers on there. And each week I've been taking notes. And particularly at the end of each message when we reflect and decide how, how we're going to put these uh, practices into sort of a daily routine. When I was in seminary, that's where you go to uh, learn theology and study the Bible and learn how to, uh, to preach and to care for people, learn how to be a pastor. And I was taking a course in ethics from a famous, wonderful man named Dr. Louis Smeads. And my assigned research paper was divorce. Now, I was pretty young. I wasn't married. I didn't have a lot of experience, but I'm reading. And, you know, the thing that kind of struck me about all the sort of the theological writing of, uh, of, of, of much of my research was kind of a harsh view on, on divorce. You know, I mean, what the Bible teaches, that God doesn't like divorce and that he wants people to stay together, except in unusual circumstances. But the, the, the research was was so black and white. In fact, it was so harsh that some maintained that a woman had to stay in a marriage, even if her husband was beating her, but he wasn't unfaithful, that you were required to stay in that marriage. And in the middle of wrestling with this paper, the ethics of marriage and divorce, I got a call from my dad, and he had tears. And he told me that my sister was getting divorced and that her husband had been unfaithful to her. And he just wept, and it was tragic, and it hit our family like a ton of bricks. You know, I was halfway through the preparing of this paper. And I have to tell you that having that conversation and being with my sister, it sort of changed my whole perspective. Now, I'm not saying that my experience with my sister in getting divorced ought to somehow be the foundation of my theology of marriage and divorce. The Bible is our foundation. But it changed me. There's something about being up and close and personal with the reality of people's lives. And I figured out back then that divorce is complex. It's complicated. You know what? That's true of all of life. Life is really quite complicated, isn't it? And it's not black and white. So we have to work together. We're talking about grace today. Where does grace fit in with the complexity of life? And I 
boiled this down really just to two things, quite memorable. You can even write them in your notebook and that would be it. When I look at the scriptures, when I look at the words and ways of Jesus, it's grace to us and it's grace through us. It's really that simple, but it's quite complex and very challenging. Grace to us, grace through us. Philip Yancey wrote two of the best books on grace. What's so amazing about grace? And then later he wrote another book called Vanishing Grace. And when asked, how do you define grace? He says, I try not to define it. He says, Jesus never defined grace. And usually when someone asked Jesus a question, he would tell a story. Or he would turn it back to a question to his uh, inquirers. In fact, Jesus never in the gospel used the word grace. And it's such a profound part of our faith, but Jesus never used it. The word is charis in grace. At least in the written scriptures, he never uttered that word, which is fascinating, isn't it? But there is a place in John, early in John's gospel, where John said grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He may not have spoken about grace, but he embodied it. And that's what we're going to look at today. Grace wasn't used anymore in the Gospels. So Jesus didn't technically teach on grace, but his words and his ways, helping us to be disciples, followers of Jesus, learners of Jesus, so that we live our lives the way he would live our lives if he were us. Grace to us grace through us. So let's take a few moments to talk about grace to us. That's foundational. Us receiving grace, us being willing to allow grace to flood into our lives. This was a really key word for the Apostle Paul. So most of our learning about like the, the, the principles, the understanding of grace, it comes from Paul. This was huge for him because he had experienced the grace of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, you can look quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to read a few verses so you can listen and read. But if you're quick on the draw, you can go to Ephesians 2 verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. It is by grace that we are saved. And then get this. I love this so much. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that now listen to every word here. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God in order that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is 
God's delight to shower our lives with his grace through the kindness manifested through Jesus. In the words and ways of Jesus, as far as it concerns, grace, grace is God's gift to us. If you want to define grace, grace, you don't get what you deserve. You don't get what you deserve. That's grace, a gift from God. I just want to remind you, I want to tell you, maybe you've had a hard time hearing this and understanding this and owning this, but God loves you. And you cannot, by anything that you do, get God to love you any more than he loves you right now. Oh, how we need to just immerse ourselves in the fountain of God's grace. You can't do anything anything right now to get God to love you any less. He loves you. And I know there are so many lies, there's so many narratives inside that fight against that reality and that truth. And that's why this practice is so important. So let's go back to the Gospels. I, I saw two ways that Jesus embodied grace. One was his healing and his compassion. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God. He just came onto the scene, and his proclamation of the kingdom came with healing. He was healing every disease. This is Matthew 4, 23 and 24. He was healing every sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with, very, Ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And it's so easy for us to kind of gloss over that because we've become so familiar with Jesus as a healer. But think of that coming from Jesus' heart. He saw the broken and the hurting, and his heart went out to fix that, to to, to bring them relief. He was so full of grace and love and kindness and compassion. And then in Mark 9, I love it, he saw Matthew. Now Matthew, the writer of the gospel that we're reading here, Matthew was a tax collector, so everybody in Israel hated him except the Romans. He was a, a, a co-conspirator with the oppressive regi regime in Rome and making a lot of money off of his brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith. So he was not looked upon kindly. And Jesus walked up to him and said, Matthew, I want you to follow me. Jesus handpicked him to be one of his 12, this tax collector. And I'm sure there was a lot of times with the other 11 guys where they were fighting and, and, and yelling at each other and, and criticizing because you picked a tax collector to be in our crew? They couldn't understand it. And so then it tells us that then uh, after Jesus said, follow me, Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, I think that phrase, tax collectors and sinners, should have quotes around it. I think it was like a label, a pejorative label from the arrogant, you know, the, the religious people. Those are the, 
those are the bad people over there, and they label them tax collectors and sinners. Where was Jesus? Remember last week, Todd said in communion that we ought to look at the church as a table because Jesus spent so much time around the table. And who was at Jesus' table? Tax collectors and sinners. And later in Matthew 9, all these crowds are following him. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had a shepherd's heart. Jesus felt compassion for people. He had not become cynical. He was not brittle and hard. But I think the other way that Jesus embodied grace was not just through this massive healing and this compassionate relationship with people and the crowds and caring for them like a shepherd would his or her flock of sheep. It was, secondly, conflict with the religious power brokers. Now, again, you cannot read through the Gospels without seeing that Jesus over and over came into conflict with those who were in charge religiously. And they were a tough crowd to get along with. Go back to Matthew's party with Matthew and the tax collectors and sinners. When the Pharisees saw this, Matthew 9:11. They asked his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" On hearing this, Jesus said, "It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means." And then he quotes from Hosea 6 verse 6, "I desire mercy, not sacrifice." The translation of that essentially is your religious observances that have caused you to become hard-hearted legalists mean nothing to me. What I want is mercy. I want grace. I want kindness. That's, that's the value and the priority. And then Jesus says, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And now, what does that mean? I didn't come for the healthy but the sick. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, I'm coming for people not who think they're healthy, but indeed they're really sick. I'm coming for people that know they're really sick. Problem with the Pharisees is they thought they had it all together. They had no need of a doctor. And Jesus said, well, I guess in that case I didn't come for you. I didn't come to call the righteous. What he means is, I didn't come to call self-righteous people who think that in their own goodness, they're so righteous that they can cast off this category of tax collectors and sinners and separate themselves. Jesus says, I didn't come for that kind of a mentality and attitude. I came for the one who realizes in my arrogance, I'm really a sinner and I'm broken and I need to repent of this. And I need to realize that I'm not separated from the tax collectors and sinners. I am one, and I need a doctor. I need help. I need a savior. And a little later on in Matthew 12, 9, it's a Sabbath, and there's a man in the synagogue with a withered hand. It's not workable. It's not usable, probably affecting his ability to make a living and care for his family. 
and the Pharisees are watching. They're always on guard. They're looking for the opportunity to catch Jesus doing something that they disapprove of. And Jesus knows it. And so he says to the Pharisees, he says, let me tell you a story. Which one of you, if you had a sheep and it was walking along and fell into a big hole like a well, and it was the Sabbath, wouldn't you jump in and grab that sheep, which is so valuable to you and such an important part of your economic opportunities? The answer is, well, of course you would. They did it all the time. And then he looked at the man. And he said, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? It was the reality that the Pharisees got their priorities and their values and their hearts all mixed up. And they placed a rule about the Sabbath higher than caring for and being cash, uh, compassionate for and offering grace to a person who was right in front of them with a withered hand. So Jesus healed them, completely healed them. And this just strikes me. It says that then the Pharisees went out and plotted how to kill Jesus. Now you got to scratch your head. Here's this compassionate, kind, grace-giving Savior. And when he cares for people and heals them, there's a religious crowd that want to kill him for it. So grace is, oh, did you hear that? Did you hear the hawk? Can you see it? Can you see it? Are we going to have an animal planet moment? Ron, very important, very important that that camera goes to the hawk and not to me. If, it, if it's going to get a cat... Uh, a squirrel, um, Eric's dog. No, 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 I'm sorry, Eric. Uh, online you can't hear it, but we have, we have a hawk. We have several hawks here, and, and uh, they, they squeal a bit. I think it was an affirmation squeal. Okay, let's get back to it. Not only is grace supposed to go to us, but then grace goes through us. Grace to us, grace through us. And Jesus trained his disciples to be grace dispensers. To liberally receive it and give it away. To let it flow through them. To, to, to season the world. To use a phrase that Todd used in the podcast on grace. And so if you go to our website and you click on the art of following Jesus. And there's a big circle and it says grace. And you click on that circle and it's going to show you, listen to Todd's 10-minute podcast on grace. And he talks about grace being the seasoning that comes out of us. That's like the salt that flavors the world. Those that follow Jesus are to practice grace so that we can be like those tributaries of the river that just take grace everywhere we go, that it just flows out from us. That it's able to flow out from us in this cultural moment because we are living in, in one sense, a very toxic time where we've never been more divided and grace has never been more needed. People are starving for kindness and compassion and unity and grace and care. In Vanishing Grace, I'm going back to Philip Yancey, he did a, a survey. He just asked thousands of people. And he asked them over and over and over again, 
When I say the word Christian, what thoughts come to your mind? And he said he was quite disappointed that never once did someone say, well, when I hear the word Christian, I think of words like love, compassion, grace. But dominantly, when people heard the name Christian, they thought, oh, those are the people that are against this and this and this. We have a reputation problem, especially in the last few years. The church, followers of Jesus, are not known as grace-giving people. So back to Matthew chapter 9 and that party with Matthew and the tax collectors and sinners. I imagine it was somewhat of a raucous party. I wish I could have been there. You know, I mean, it was probably, it was probably a, a really good party because they were rich. And there was, there was food and wine and, and they're drinking and eating. And I, I can just imagine Jesus laughing and they're telling stories. And, and they just could feel him exuding this, this sense of not ignoring the reality of the world in which they had lived their, their, their life, but, but loving them. In fact, later, the Pharisees, they would, they would accuse Jesus of being a, a glutton and a drunkard. <laughs> and he was neither one. But what kind of a life would we have to live with tax collectors and sinners where everyone would say about that pastor, he's a, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And uh, Jesus wore the label. He was okay with it, even though it wasn't true of who he hung out with and how he treated them and how he loved them. I wonder how the tax collectors and sinners experienced Jesus. I want you for a moment, if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 18. I just want to highlight this one parable that Jesus tells. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant and Peter was scratching his head because Jesus was so forgiving and so Peter wanted to get a rule and he said Jesus how how much should I forgive my friends up to seven times and Jesus laughed at him Peter seven times are you kidding me how about 70 times seven which means Peter don't ever stop forgiving don't stop forgiving just keep on going he says Peter let me help you understand this I'll tell you a story Jesus says to Peter, there is a king, and he had these laborers, and uh, this one guy owed him a, a whole lot of money. In fact, the text says that he owed him 10,000 bags of gold. And he was brought before the king, and the guy said, I can't pay it. And he fell down on his face, and he begged for mercy. And uh, the king said, now I'm going to throw you and your family in a prison until you can pay it back. And he just cried and weeped, and he begged for forgiveness and said, I'll do whatever I can to pay this back. And so... What did the king do? The king canceled his debt. That's grace. Canceled his debt. So that guy goes out. Oh, my gosh, I got my life back. Hallelujah. Told his wife, honey, we can go out to dinner tonight. And then when he's walking down the street, he sees one of his partners who owes him. The text tells us that that guy owed him 100 silver coins. And he said, I need it back. I need it back right now. He said, I can't pay it. 
I'll do my best. I can't pay. He grabbed him by the throat and threatened him. And he threw him in jail with his family until he could pay it back. Now, I know right now that story is not connecting. But if you look at the footnotes in the NIV, which I did, I learned that the bag of gold uh, for the first man was a talent, 10,000 talents. And a talent was worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. So if you do the math, he owed the king 200,000 years of daily work, a debt impossible to pay back. Jesus is telling a wild story to make a point. And then it says that the other guy owed him 100 silver coins. This was a denarii. A denarius was the usual daily wage of a day laborer. So that was 100 days for a common laborer. You were forgiven 200,000 years of daily work. And now you're not going to forgive your friend that owes you 100 days? And the king took that guy and threw him in, threw him in prison. It was a, to make a point. I wonder why at times we, even in the church, we have a difficult time giving grace. And I think it starts in the garden. I think we have to go way back to our origin, to the beginning of our story. The creation story when God places Adam and Eve in the garden and creates them in his image and then gives them the task of taking care of this beautiful world and one another and multiplying and ruling and being caretakers. I think in one sense it can go either way. We're created in the image of God. But we're also marred by the great decision that, that we oftentimes call the fall. The decision that God gave us everything in the garden except that one tree, and we went after the one tree because the devil lied and said, you can become like God. That's this critical decision that each one of us wrestled with. Hey, you know what? I like to be in charge. God, back off. And it separates. It destroys a relationship with God, and it destroys relationships with one another made in the image of God, and yet marring that image by the choices that we make. It's this dilemma, this constant daily wrestling. And it can go either way when we forget where we come from. You were made in the image of the Almighty God. You represent God here in this creation, and he is giving you responsibility. You are magnificent people. Don't ever forget that. But we've made horribly selfish decisions. And it has impacted our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And that's where our two values come from, out of four. Love God and enjoy people. 
And as we follow the words and ways of Jesus and apply these 12 practices today, grace, we reestablish that relationship. So for us in the church, grace is always meant to flow to and then through us. We're to be we're to be dispensers of grace, not hoarders of grace. It's only given to us so that we can give it away to other people. But there's something that happens in groups, particularly religious groups, particularly groups that feel like they have a corner on the truth because immediately there creeps in the potential for us to feel self-righteous and to create an us versus them. And whenever there's an us versus them, ah, oh man, the evil one has a heyday with us, us versus them. The Pharisees manifested this in the extreme, this superiority attitude. And they became judgmental and critical and mean-spirited toward others. You know, I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to have Denise come up and give us some time of reflection in a minute. But I want to tell you something that I guess would be on the very personal side. Uh, I've been seeing a therapist because my wife died in March of 2020. It's been super, super helpful. So it's not Chris Ioma, but props to Chris because he's a wonderful therapist. Um, and so I've worked through a lot of grief. And I, I am, I'm alive today, and I am finding joy and standing strong and ready to discover the next chapter in my life as a human being. Uh, but my therapist detected something in my language. He's been listening to me for 11 months. And this last week, I, I talked to him about making dinner at home. And you know, I don't know how to cook very well. And I'm there by myself in my home, and I'm cooking. And I just don't know what I'm doing. And I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. And I use this phrase, this is pathetic. And when I recounted that to him, what he heard, because he's perceptive, he heard me say, I am pathetic. And that's where he jumped on it. And he goes after me. And he digs. And he said, Bill. You don't give yourself any grace. In fact, if you treated another person in your congregation the way you treat yourself, you'd be disqualified from ministry. You're kicking yourself while you're down. So I'm just going to make a confession to you. I'm a perfectionist. And I hold myself to a high standard that is impossible to live up to. And I don't give myself any grace at all. And... As I reflected this week, I could recount to you so many stories where I expected myself to be good at something instantaneously. And then I berate myself. And I have this story going on in my head. So for me, the practice of grace really has to get fundamental and go right to the core. And that's going to take a lot of work with this therapist to let myself receive grace. You know what? Some of you might be in that same place. You just can't accept the grace of Jesus in your life because you don't think you're worthy. 
You feel like there's something that's happened that God won't overlook. You feel as if there's been too many mistakes. Friends, it starts with receiving this free gift of grace. Let it come and wash over you. That's my prayer for myself. And that it wa- as it washes over me, it can just flow out onto other people. So remember these two things. One, I want you to remember where you come from. You're made in the image of God with the potential to make really, really bad selfish decisions. And that comes into tension, and Jesus' grace is sufficient for that moment. And number two, do the math. Do the math. We've been forgiven of 200,000 years of labor, wiped clean. So let's not hold one another hostage because of piddly things with one another. Denise, would you come up and get your notebooks, a time of reflection? so much, Bill. Thank you. You are an amazing person, and you are not pathetic. We love Bill, don't we? Thank you. Um, Two things I want to do right now. First, I want to ask for two volunteers that will pray for people on the back rocks. Uh, Is there anybody in our family here that would like to pray with people today? I'd love two volunteers. Okay, I can't see who that is back there. Is that Nigel? Yeah, okay, Nigel will be back there. Thank you, Nigel. One more. Dave? Okay, thanks, Dave. If you need prayer, just as you're you're sitting and reflecting with the Lord in your little book and just in a little bit of quietness, just think about what Bill said. I I don't need to repeat it. where in your life do you just need to absorb and receive and embrace God's grace for you? I look out, I know many of you, is it um, as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as a broken human just being forgiven? Just spend some time thinking about, you know, we know that Jesus forgives us, but sometimes we don't receive it, like Bill said. So just think about where first you just need to receive God's grace. My therapist said we sponge it up, like absorb it, not just know it, but like absorb the grace of God. And then um, secondly, maybe you know, as Bill was talking, you're thinking more about just who in your life um, do you hold in a separate category that doesn't receive the grace of God? And just think about that. Maybe there's someone in your life, um, as Bill was talking about Jesus and how he responded to people that, um, the unlikely. Is there anyone in your life that um, God's just going, you know, I love you. I love you so much, and I want you to love those people around you. 
So take a minute. Godwin's just going to play on the keys. I'm going to sit down and just think about those two areas. Is there an area you need to receive the grace of God? And is there an area or a person where you can extend the grace of God? And if you're just really fighting that and you just need your heart to be encouraged, go back to the back, get some prayer or a prayer from the person next to you. And let's just go for it together. We want to be a people in a community full of grace.
know, this is a, an important moment. And uh, this is one of the most amazing songs that has ever been written. And it is so powerful. And it is so personal. And Amanda and the band are about to lead us into the bridge. And I just really believe this is going to be a breakthrough moment for some of you, whether here or at home online. And it might be a moment where you've been wrestling and holding back, you've been judging yourself, you've been judging other people, and you need to surrender to the beautiful grace and love of God. This is what the bridge says. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. And maybe you've been believing a lie and you think that wall is impenetrable and that mountain is too tall and that shadow is too dark. never give up. So, as we sing, just let it go. Give it all to God. Receive His love and His grace.
Thank you. 
So, Lord, that is our prayer this morning, that you would lead us in your love, that we would receive your love. And in that love, you would guide us to love others, to show grace to others, and above all, to show grace to ourselves. Your love is so much stronger. Your love is so much better. So would you equip us this week, Lord, with the knowledge of your goodness and your grace extended to us. We love your presence and we thank you for your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for worshiping with us, you guys. Thanks to the online crew for worshiping. We love you guys. See you this week. Grab your brown notebooks, your stickers. Check out the website. Be on the journey with us. Hope you have a great day. We'll see you next week.